Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. You know what? This show's not sponsored by anybody. This episode, this one's just for me. Even though the intro audio was way down too low. I like to keep it professional, people. I could have just redone this entire intro, but hell with that. Don't want to waste digital tape. Pandemic going on. Ah, hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Pack Filler. My second in two days. I am on a roll. I am on a roll of toilet paper. I am losing my mind from being inside this house way too many days in a row. These are my first world problems, people. I have to ride Zwift. I have toilet paper, but I'm not going to give you my address. It's another episode of the Pack Filler. Uh, as I already said, second of three. Yesterday, I was fortunate enough to sit down with Dave Toll and talk about online digital racing. And then what did we wake up to this morning but online digital racing in the form of a truncated virtual Ronde van Vlaanderen. Did I pronounce that correctly? Tour of Flanders. I'm anxious to hear from you guys what you thought of how that one went. Not like to talk with Dave Toll, but the virtual tour of Flanders that happened this morning. Watching a bunch of men riding in their living rooms or punishment rooms or anything like that. If this is the future of bike racing, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. <laughs> But as I also announced that uh, in, in lieu of the Tour of Flanders being canceled for the year, I decided to uh, partner up with a, a good friend of, of mine who I've never met in person, but he's a great guy and he does a great podcast. John Galloway of the VeloCast was kind enough to uh, sit down in his studio with Paul and myself and have a little chat in terms of uh, the 2003 
Rondé van Vlaanderen. There, did I say it correctly that time? I don't know if I did or not. But we had an opportunity to chat about that. John and his his group with the VeloCast decided to pick classic versions of the races and report on them in their podcasts as if they had just happened or more or less recovering those types of events. Incredibly exciting races. It's kind of cool being able to pick and choose some specific races that had more panache, more style than um, years that might have not been more flamboyant and exciting. And it really, really kind of helps breathe life back into the sport. If you're new to cycling, you should get involved with this and get involved with the this these movements and watch some of these older races you can kind of get a feel of what races racing was like in the 80s 90s early 2000s and things like that and see the styles how they've changed not just fashion wise but the actual riding styles and i could i could reminisce about oh the old days when everybody wore shorter socks and didn't have a director talking in their ears or something like that but um it's it's an enjoyable experience watching some of these old races i didn't realize how many riders i had forgotten about and how many riders i used to really idolize but uh, have of course left the sport and uh to see what cycling was like in the age of more prominent um dietary supplements for lack of a better term so it was good i got to sit down and chat with john i had paul was supposed to be on Skype. He uh, His Skype was not working, so he came over to the house. I'm not going to lie. Paul Main was in the studio. His microphone is well over six feet away from me. However, he did walk in, and as soon as he uh, got in, he brought his beverage of choice with him, opened it, and proceeded to, well, I don't want to spoil it for you. So without further ado, Paul Main and John Galloway on the Pack Filler. All right, welcome to the day I pretty much waited an entire year for. It's April 5th. I was supposed to be at the Tour of Flanders today. I was supposed to be giddy with bike racing fandom. I was likely supposed to be on my way to drinking too many brilliant Belgian beers. Um, I was supposed to be with the two guys I have in the show today. Actually, Paul and I are six feet away, so we're keeping it clear there. But uh, I, you know, I, I don't really need to introduce Paul, so I'm not going to. But he's been to Belgium, in case nobody on the <laughs> show ever knows. Uh, but I'd also like to welcome the man behind the VeloCast, uh, the podcast that I truly feel has the best insight into the world of professional cycling. And I'm not saying that just to kiss his ass. Uh, no, really, though. Welcome to John Galloway. How are you, man? You have no idea how depressed I am today, but I mean, <laughs> you and I would have been having some beers yesterday. We'd be in the Oud Quaramont sipping a few brews today. Um, we had such plans for this race. It's the first time we've actually gone to a race in person for ages. And instead, I'm sitting in my studio upstairs in my house, and the only time I've been outside today was to walk my dog. Oh. I haven't been outside just, at all yet. It's horrible. I mean, it's just horrible. But it's what we need to do. Yeah. You know, the way that we can control this thing that we're all going through is is to stay home. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. So, on that cheery note, did you enjoy the uh, the virtual round won by Greg Van Avermaet today? You know what? That is is something <laughs> I definitely want to get into. And you know, before we even get to what we're supposed to be talking, you know, our 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 unofficial tour of Flanders. Yes, I did watch that this morning. Uh, Paul said he watched it and he couldn't get an hour. Uh, of his no, life that's when I started making Belgian waffles. I just lost interest in no time. Um, I did leave it on. It's kind of like one of those bad movies or a bad book. You're into it and you think it's got to get better. <laughs> Never did. <laughs> Oh, it was terrible. It was I mean, awful. genuinely, it was terrible. I, I watched it, um, and I talked to our subscribers all the time on Twitter, and a couple of them said, isn't it supposed to look like the course? And yeah. 
then we couldn't follow the race and then they had the sidebar with the four guys and turbo trainers down the side which made it look every bit as dull as it actually was <laughs> so i mean it, i understand the need for racing yeah but it was like watching one of those old games where you wound a handle and you know your racehorse went fast or slow <laughs> <laughs> well and i also one observation i did notice is is oliver nesson must be in prison or something like that because the, <laughs> the garage space he was in was just absolutely just horribly depressing just a concrete Scott and I were talking afterwards that we think for next week what they should do is have the same thing, but they all have to get off their bikes every five or ten minutes and be kicked in the testicles to simulate <laughs> the cobbles. <laughs> Perfect. And Michael, Michael Matthews had some sort of an actual mechanical um, in, in the event. He said after, like, Cuerma, he was stuck in his 11. And, and you see him on the virtual graph. He's just way the hell back there just the the right the and walk that, of shame online well that's that's probably another uh fault of electronic shifting right there yeah. <laughs> it went in crash mode yeah. god it was on the trainer that's no good do it, either of you guys use swift i do i i quit paul yeah, yeah i mean I, I can't get into it but i mean even when i was racing i hated the turbo trainer mm-hmm. um, yeah you know it's the lack of shift of position and stuff on the road you're always just constantly micro shifting your position in the saddle yeah and i think you miss that in turbo training joking aside i think that's why i, I just don't like it um i actually i i raced a zwift race yesterday um just just because i just finished another episode with uh dave toll who and i was talking about zwift racing and so i said i'll go up and try another one and mm-hmm. i did it and it was absolutely brutal. It hurt like hell because it's not like a real bike race. There's no on and off. It's just you're yeah. always 100% on. And um, But I agree with you in terms of positioning. Um, I, you know, And this is going to sound a little bit too close and personal, but um, I probably go numb every single time I get on that damn thing. And I'm not yeah, talking moving, about my brain. Moving swiftly along. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So we were here... Here we are. It is it is uh, Sunday, April fifth. We were supposed to be uh, commenting on Flanders, and you, in your infinite wisdom, came up a, a spell ago about this concept of holding up previous events of the races and and you know bringing some to light and rewatching them and covering them as if they were a brand new event. Um, first of all, how's that been going for you guys, and how are the listeners engaging on your end with the stuff that you've been doing? Can I let you into a secret? Yeah, please do. I'm actually enjoying this more than a normal season. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because what you get to do is pick the absolute highlights of each race. You know, when we were looking at picking a a version of the Ronde, I had it narrowed down to six, and then it took me two weeks to narrow it down to three. And then probably another week to get down to the one we chose. Paris-Roubaix next week, I've been looking at that for six weeks. I still have no idea what edition we're going to talk about and what it does is it gives us access to the absolute best of these races over the decades and the great thing for us is we've got loads of listeners who are you know died in the wool fans from right back in the day you know people who are nearly as old as elderly folk like me (laughs) but there are also lots of new folk who came on board when you know, for you lot, when Armstrong started winning everything in the USA, we've got lots of US subscribers who only go back to maybe 1999 or 1998. Yeah. Um, the UK, the same thing with Team Sky. 
you know, there's loads of new folk who discovered the sport as a, as a result of that. And to introduce these people to characters from the past, people like Johan Museo or, you know, Peter van Pettigem or Frank Vandenbroek, who we all talked about in today's race, yeah. it's an absolute privilege. And the sad thing is, for somebody of my age, I actually remember these guys better than I remember people like Mikhail Kwiatkowski. You know, because it was at the point where I was so passionate about the sport, it completely consumed my life. So I feel I feel a bit like an evangelist. <laughs> <laughs> One of my first observations, and I just sat in front of it. And by the way, we're wa- we're watching the 2003 Tour of Flanders. Just for the listeners who didn't know, this is the one the event we're covering. Um, and first thing I noted down was there are so many writers I had forgotten about that I was yeah. so in, involved in and passionate about. Peter Van Patigam t- popped right into mind when I went, oh, my God, I'd, I'd forgotten about him. And yeah. um, young Tom Bonin, who had just switched over to um, uh, a quick step mm-hmm. that year. So he was just still in the infancy. Jackie Durand, Frank Vandenbroek, which I put a sad face afterwards because I remember his his fall from from grace but uh just bringing and and i was honestly involved with that entire front group in that in the event itself that front pack whatever it dwindled down to i knew every single rider in that group and i can't say the same as i as i can now so i i'm in the same boat with you it just it blew me away and you know the funny thing is i'm actually enjoying the races more than i did when i watched them live <laughs> because back then i had real emotional attachments with individual riders yeah so if they weren't in the break maybe i felt a bit disappointed mm-hmm. or you know if they lost maybe i felt dis- a bit disappointed whereas now i can just appreciate the thing from a distance and just appreciate some fantastic tactical racing yeah was there anything in particular that drew you to pick this 2003 version Honestly, it was Frank Vandenbroek. Um, I've been looking at him as one of our picks for Liège, Bastogne Liège, and I'd forgotten what a wonderful guy he was to watch on a bike. I mean, lay aside all of the, you know, the drugs were for my dog, uh, all of the the tragic suicide attempts and his, his final sad demise. He was just an absolute joy on a bike. And Peter van Pettigem, I think, gets forgotten. Yeah, you know, as I said to to Scott in today's show, for such a talented rider, he had a relatively limited Palmares. I mean, a fantastic Palmares, but you know, not quite what you'd expect with someone of his talent. So the combination of those two guys is what made me pick two thousand and three, and what a fantastic race! I mean, yeah. it was just thrilling from a hundred kilometers out all the way to the finish. Correct me if I'm wrong. It didn't seem like a lot of directors were in riders' ears at this event. None. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I know that's that's going to turn me into an old crotchety asshole, but it's to watch these guys racing on their own without this this master in a car kind of controlling them as, as you would so proverbial chess pieces really changes the style of racing. Well, I, I mean, I'm guilty of looking at things through rose-colored spectacles. I've been yeah. watching the sport since 1974. Um, and... I remember the 70s and 80s as being really exciting, and the 90s as well, actually, mm-hmm. you know, before the race radio came in. And I think you got a more complete rider, you know, guys who didn't just have the legs, who didn't just have the engine, but could actually think as they pedaled and react instantly to things. And we saw that so many times, and guys pushing themselves to the absolute limit. I mean, Johan Museo, one of the all-time tactical greats mm-hmm. in this race, just looked like he was absolutely on top of it 
until yeah. he wasn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was his tactical brain delivering and or writing checks that his legs couldn't deliver. Yeah, it was a beautiful move when he when he yeah. did. But mm-hmm. it, it it that's you brought up Musea was a fine example. That guy could read a race. He seemed to know what was happening behind him without an earpiece. Um yeah. I, I was never a big fan at the time. Uh but Man, he really could read a race, and you knew when he didn't win or he was in the back, he didn't have the legs. That was it. It wasn't yeah. a, a strategy thing. So, yeah, I agree. So, did you guys get a refund for your flights? Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> our, our Airbnb uh, we got back, and then the rental car got back, um, and I had to wait to the last before seven days before our tickets when we were supposed to fly before I filed for it. So. We haven't got it back yet, but they said, yeah, it's in the process. But it's so. just. You need to come next year, though, yeah? Yeah, oh, yeah. It's already. We all agreed mm-hmm. that every single penny from those airline tickets is just going, going back, back into in the next year's purchase. <laughs> yeah. We're not refunding anybody. We're just put, buying new tickets because, damn it, we're going to get there. So here are some of my initial observations, and you guys can chime in whenever you want or something like that. First of all, I completely forgot Brad Wiggins was a road for FDJ. Um, completely <laughs> forgot that. Uh, my second observation was there were way too many damn blue shorts in the Peloton at that specific <laughs> time of, of, of fashion trends. Better than white shorts, mate. Well, <laughs> uh, and, and, the, and the winner was Van Petergum with white shorts. And I'm just glad he didn't have a corgasm. And that, <laughs> oh, don't. Just don't. <laughs> For those who don't know what I'm yeah, talking you about, you need listen to listen to yeah. John's uh, <laughs> episode with Killian about uh, uh, Eddie Plankard's yeah. 88 oh, God. Um, he Flanders told me, win. Uh, yeah. He told, me about, he told me about that on a ride, and I almost threw up. Yeah, it's not a pretty sight. You have to listen to that. Well, you have to listen to Fellowcast. It's a great, great. Yeah. Speaking, of, <laughs> speaking of bad shorts, I still accuse uh, Domina Vacanze of the biggest fashion crime ever committed since the Tonton Tapis team in terms of a kit. That well, we we were talking about that in the premium subscribers show today, and I actually think the worst kit ever is. Do you remember the futon kit? Oh yeah, oh, which was a kind of weird it's brown, right? Yellow brown that looked brown. like you know if you had a, a bad stomach upset, yeah. something like that would appear <laughs> in your toilet bowl. <laughs> and and then there was. And a lot of people love this, the Carrera kit with the denim. No, oh, that's yeah. that was horrible mm-hmm. as yeah. well. Yeah, the, the Dominic Vicanzi kit. At least it was striking. You know, it, they oh. were easy to pick out in a peloton. Yeah, but. Um, it, it wasn't a good look. All I remember is my parents were so into it that they, they went through this specific lifetime crisis mode where they both bought Harley Davidsons and they both had helmets made in that pattern, that, that zebra pattern helmet. And I remember seeing <laughs> photos of them. First of all, my, my, my mom in, in red leather and a, oh, no, and a leopard helmet I know your mom. I on a Harley. It was, it's the worst <laughs> visual. I, you, there's not an m- amount of alcohol that can get rid of it. But they, they did that pattern on their helmets as a tribute to that team. I kept thinking it was Aqua Sapone, but it was, it was the Minamakanze back then at that year. So bad. What a weird outlier you are that your parents were into pro cycling in America. Oh, yeah. Oh, big time. We were all, our household was just, it, we were lunatics about it all and so that's where this disease comes from and i have a room dedicated to it in my basement and i've been talking on a microphone since 1999 about it (laughs) not making any money about it you know those types of things not that i'm bitter um the other thing that really i want to bring up about this race is 
when you watch the round now, there's the finish on that soulless long straight into Udenard. And yeah. Udenard mm-hmm. is a fascinating town. I thoroughly recommend you go there if you visit the round. You know, Freddie Martin's is head of the, the Rome van Flanderen Museum there. Mm-hmm. You've got easy access to some of the classic climbs. It's a great base for a visit. But the, the kind of moor and the Bosberg finish was just magnificent. You know, to lose that now, for the moor to be some kind of insignificant blip in the road 100 kilometres out from the finish, yeah. is an insult to me. Look at that finale with, you know, Peter van Pettigem and Vandenbroek going head to head in the moor. It was it was what made the race. And Bruges itself, a fantastic town which you guys need to visit. Great beer, great restaurants, an old medieval city which is easy to walk, you know, because it's all small because they didn't have cars. Um, <laughs> was a great start town. It was just a much better parkour than we have these days. Well, John, I want you to know I've been to Belgium. What? Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. have the sound effects <laughs> computer up. But yeah. Actually, we the I first time I've ever mentioned that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the first time I I went over there was in 2003, and that was the year I, I went to see. Um, it was would have been the hundredth anniversary of of RV uh, v, v. Um, but um, they switched it to be earlier. It's like the thirty first of of March was was Rhonda, and then Perry Roubaix, and I already bought my tickets. So I we went to Roubaix, which is not like you know taking your mom to the prom or anything. But you know <laughs> it's it was you know we stayed in Bruges, rented a car, and you mentioned those small streets. I was trying to drive this little car through the t- streets. <laughs> it's not, and they're one ways. And I, and this is our GPS was terrible. It was it was a fiasco. But nevertheless, yeah, um, I agree. The old loop. I mean, one of my favorite riders was uh, Edwin Van Hoydunk, and mm-hmm. he, you know they call him a boss of the Bergs. And that finish going up, and you know, every famous picture of of uh, the Rondon, if you look at it. It is. It's always going up by the the Kapelmuir, just going up there. You know, I I still have pictures. Yeah, those cobbles and those cobbles up the side of the road to hold the wall back or to hold yeah. the, the, you know, the the earth back just before you get up to the chapel at the top. Sean Kelly, Johan Musil, Eddie Merckx, they've all been pictured in that sequence. Oh yeah, absolutely. Now, hey, you guys, yeah, since we're talking, since we're talking about the course itself. Um, for those, you know, Paul's been there. I, John, I don't know if you've been there. Tell me about the Koppenberg. It, it's just an, a visual wonder in in this year's in that year's event in two thousand three. A moto fell over on it halfway through the halfway up <laughs> the thing. Blocked it. Um, so, any what I'd love to hear your thoughts on the importance of that climb and and what is missing when you know it disappears or something like that. Well, back in the old days, it used to be really, really hard um, yeah. because the surface was terrible. You know, riders regularly fell off. I think it was Jesper Skibby who nearly got run over by yep. a team car yep, or a following was. car in the Copenburg. There are loads of sequences of riders having a walk. Brian Smith, the, the Scottish rider who rode for Motorola, published a great picture of himself still riding in the Copenburg while people all around him were walking. Um, they resurfaced it and it got better and I've ridden it since they resurfaced it and I'm a fat old tourist now so you know the bergs are not home for me (laughs) and the thing about the Koppenberg is you look at it and you think it's not that long, I can manage this and then after a third you start to think actually this is getting really steep and then at the second third you think I think I'm going to be sick, I have to get (laughs) off 
and it's only by pushing on that you can get over the top. Now, that's when I'm riding it within myself as a tourist. Mm -hmm. Imagine that at race speed. Oh. It just rips the peloton apart. It's a vicious, vicious climb. And for guys who say it's a relatively short climb, you can power over it. I would say, yeah, go and show me, mate. You know, yeah. Because you just can't. It's just evil. You have to be the best of the best to race over that. And then try and do it with three abreast. Yeah. 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 Well, in that they, they deem that the only hill that Merckx had to walk up. He actually walked yeah. up at once. Oh, man. It, and on that coverage we watched today, uh, uh, we saw Paul talking about, you know, Paul Sherwin, who's sadly left us now, yeah. talking about the fact that riders used to go and buy bits of leather they could put over their shoes because they knew they were going to have to walk up it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. God almighty. And I, I can just think of the, the gear ratios, too, early. At, you know, as a guy who rode pretty heavily in the 80s and things like that, I mean, you didn't, if you had a 21, that was it. That was the biggest you oh, rode. And I laughed today when Paul Sherwin said, and he's on a very, very, very low gear. He's got 39.25. <laughs> Which is, I think, what my kid spins on the road. He's, he's got little jackrabbit legs, but uh, but that a point. So what are your guys' thoughts in terms of the, the, the racing styles, the rider styles? I mean, you know, I could pick on, I could pick on fashion elements as and, – as long as the day is because you know the short socks which really caught my attention because i i was the holdout on short socks. Socks. I, I, I was a <laughs> i was a short sock holdout for a long time and now i'm, I'm a little longer i have to admit uh, or or uh dario pieri's helmet uh that carrera helmet that looked like a cap on backwards you know so anyway but um what i'm what i want to ask is in terms of the riding styles and the, the attacking styles and what do we how do we compare the two between then and today ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ah, well, the socks thing, anything that's more than an inch above your ankle bone is a way. <laughs> yeah, just don't get me started I actually blame your compatriot for this that bloody Armstrong yeah, man with did. his long socks mm -hmm. yeah. um, as to the racing style it comes down to three little letters doesn't it? Yeah. it's EP and O um, <laughs> guys able to work ridiculously hard for stupidly long times at the front Yeah. guys able not just to attack but attack and attack again um, and that came down to being, well, prepared is the euphemism we use now. <laughs> and it was, you know, you can't criticise the guys for it. 
Oh, actually, you can, but it was it was almost ubiquitous then, mm-hmm. and you can see with the racing. You know, we're probably going to talk about the flesh alone in the show where Gavis did a yeah. three up time trial away from the entire field, yeah. and that was the the point that really heralded the start of the EPO era. But in two thousand and three, we were still deep in there, and guys were capable of, of literally superhuman efforts. But damn, it was entertaining. Yeah, you it know, in the way that professional wrestling is entertaining for some people, but more than that, because what you're actually seeing is still real physical endeavour. It's just assisted. And what it made for was incredibly attacking racing over, you know, repeated efforts. And it's just fantastic. I mean, it's entertainment. You're hard-pressed to beat that era. You know, Armstrong in 2000, was it 2003, where he said to Floyd, ride it like you stole it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just... Brilliant stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I do have to admit, in that opening segment of the video, watching it and in the writer interviews, um, it was difficult for me at first because at the time I was I was a believer. Uh, it, it was all real. They weren't cheating. These guys yeah. were doing what they said. But knowing now and watching it now and listening to these guys in, in opening interviews and going, oh, you were you were dope to the gills at that race. You were, you know, and all these, a lot of these guys were. It almost, it, it took me a while to get back into it because I because now knowing the lie, it was very, I, I was childish <laughs> watching the introduction. Yeah. I was bitter. I was angry. These people cheated me. Well, I justify it this way, that everybody was on the same program. We just had a faster version of what would have been clean. That's the only way I can rationalize that whole thing. Although it was, yeah. like, like you said, like too many attacks for it to be real. But outside of that, uh, I think when it comes to strategy, you know, we, we mentioned Museo. Um, you know, the people who use strategy still came out ahead. Um, yeah. yeah. Still bike racing. Yeah, it is. Indeed. God. You know, Floyd himself, after he turned on, on Armstrong, said, you know, well, he was still a hell of a badass bike racer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, I mean, the other thing that struck me is that we released, we started trying to keep people entertained. We've been releasing uh, shows from the, the premium subscriber archive as free to listen for, you know, the general public. And we, I put out a show called uh, Two Maggots or Two, uh, Two Raisins and a Maggot. <laughs> for reasons which you have to listen to the show to understand, (laughs) Um, which was us talking about the penultimate day of the 2010 tour, which was a time trial. And when I listen back, you know, you say that, Paul, I listened back to 2010, John, I was incredibly naive even then. Mm -hmm. And that was years after the Armstrong affair. Uh, you know, Armstrong had just come back. Everybody knew what was going on, although we hadn't had the full kind of Oprah Winfrey moments. But I, you know, I said 2010, what this feels to me is it's clean racing. You know, I really feel we've made a step forward. And then, of course, Bert lost the tour through being sanctioned. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this sport punishes us. Yeah, you know, Time and again over the decades, we've had faith and it's been, you know, it's been dashed in our faces. I think we're in a better place now, but I wouldn't stake my life on anybody being clean even now. And that's a really cheery note. I'm glad you invited me on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, Pat's been notorious for bringing us down on that that fact, uh, on, matter of fact. So, uh, yeah. On being depressing? No, uh, the yeah. drugs and whatever, oh. or we're yeah. doomed, road racing is dead. You know, he's got it. <laughs> Oh, jeez. <laughs> I say I had to drink so much beer on this I'm, podcast I'm a, just to get all cheery. I'm a depressed drunk, maybe. Yeah. Maybe that's the problem. 
on a serious note, actually, we might have to reinvent after you know what's the world's going through just now, oh. because some of the some of the sponsors are really suffering. Well, that was that was um, one the thing. The sport might look very very different in five months. Yeah, that's what I was one thing I was going to bring up. You know, here this information just recently with CCC along with Astana have announced a greatly reduced salaries, furloughed of of the majority of their staff until racing resumes. Um, although it was not exactly exciting to watch this morning this virtual uh, version of the race at least allowed some sponsorship mentions um and my my first thing i want to bring up is thoughts on this business tactic um and in the legality and ethical nature of it to to tell a rider that who is on a contract that they're only going to get 30 percent of their salary um where's the riders unions in these types of things and where's the the legal element involved yeah, that, that's a heavy, heavy conversation. Yeah. Riders still don't have a decent a decent union. You know, they don't have decent representation. Um, and to be honest, with the world being such a depressing place, I'm not sure we should really go down that rabbit hole Good at this point. particular point. point in time. How about the, how about the uh, Quick Step and Lotto Domo rivalry that they kept mentioning? I, I remember that very well. Yeah, I mean, too often they race to beat each other rather than win the race. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah I remember them marking each other out so often at that point. Um, the interesting thing for me actually is that Quick Step essentially haven't changed. Fifteen, you know, seventeen years later, they yeah. were still racing the same way. Loads of guys who could win, and they got behind whoever was strongest on the day. And I think Patrick Lefebvre, who's someone I've criticised a great deal over the years, deserves a lot of credit for putting together a team with that kind of spirit. Yeah, absolutely. There was another old you know, battle when Peter Post and uh, Jan Ross were directors yeah. with Panasonic. Yeah. And Buckle. Those two wouldn't even, the teams wouldn't even race against each other to, just for the hope that, you know, the other person wouldn't win. They, they, I can't even remember what race it was. It was a classic that somebody just launched off as a three, uh, three-man three break, and one of the riders that attacked was not a part of those two teams, and they just let it go. And because because they wouldn't. Just watch. Yeah, yeah, and that was a big that, – that, that, that goes on. Yeah. God, you must be nearly as old as me. Yeah, I'm 57. <laughs> I'm 57 too. You're exactly oh, as old as perfect, me. Perfect, perfect. I'm the child in the room. <laughs> yeah. That's why I'm not drinking. actually i will be i promise i will be hey um before we kind of venture too far away from it um i'd like to hear your guys' thoughts of people who have attended the race and and what makes uh flanders such a special event and especially in comparison to oh i don't know next weekend when we're talking about uh perry roubaix what what are the differences between the two events and and as somebody who attends who's been there in person what is that experience like, and what makes it such a such a, for lack of a non, over the top term, what makes it such a holy experience? John, have you been there? Did we lose him? We might have lost. Yeah, uh, I'm no. back. It's okay. All, All right. right. Did you have to take a wee? I'm, I'm, I'm dropping <laughs> in and out. Will I go first? Sure. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> well, Flanders, I love. I mean, Flanders is a fantastic race, um, and what. I love about it. It's the same thing I love about the Amstel Gold. It's that the climbs come thick and fast. Yeah. So even though none of them are, are particularly decisive on their own, just the accumulation of lactic acid and fatigue in the legs decides the race. It's it's beautiful, even more so than 
Amstel because you've got the addition of cobbles. So you've got the ability to deal with that harsh terrain under the wheels. So in terms of a balanced race, I think it's the best in the world. You know, you've got harsh terrain, you often have bad weather, particularly in the bits before back in the day when we used to only get to see the finale of the race. Yeah. You know, they mm -hmm. used to go down the coast and it would often be split to pieces by wind before they got to the actual bergs. So Flanders, beautiful race. Paris-Roubaix, best race in the world, in my opinion. You know, it's not flat, whatever people say. There's up and downs all during the day. The terrain is unimaginably difficult. I mean, until you've ridden the, ridden the pavé, you can't even conceive of what it feels like underneath your wheels. And for me, it's also the best connection with the history of the sport. You know, you can really feel what it was like to be in the black and white era between the wars. So Flanders, I think, is the best balanced race in the world. Paris-Roubaix, is, it's just the best. You know, there's nothing better. I, I kind of agree. I, I was, I got started in cycling watching the the very first bike race I ever saw on television here in the U.S. was a Paris Roubaix. It was 1984, and that's what got me started in in cycling. I thought I got to do this, um, and and so that was the race that I constantly followed until I started discovering other classics, and uh, then Flanders became like the the race for me because of just what you said it, it's like the perfect race they had wins they have everything and the passion that the the people there and and um seeing Roubaix twice and uh Flanders once um I was giddy when uh the second time I went back and we, uh we went to Gerasbergen and went up to the top of the mirror and I was Beautiful. oh yeah um it was because you see that chapel. I went up around there. I, I was like almost in tears. I was like a little child on Christmas Day or something. It was so. It's such an iconic vision, and and it's unfortunate. It's ninety nine kilometers left in the race nowadays. But nevertheless, the the people and having you know the people gathering and and I was lucky enough to have the mayor of Gerardsburg and sit in front of me, and he heard the stand in front of me, and he was talking to me in English, and it was like a great experience. But I have to agree with you. The best race and the passion and just the melt. We were in Orshi both times. I it was in there, Sector 12 in 2013. It was 13, Sector 13, about 60K to go. And there's people from all nations there. And uh, I met up with four guys that I stayed friends with, um, and uh, we keep contact, and they're all Flemish, and they're saying, this is the race for the people. It do, it isn't it doesn't have VIP tents it doesn't have all this it is for the people and and you can feel it there on the side of the road it is yeah it is a great great race it's the best the energy is astonishing in the moor mm -hmm. I mean it's just oh yeah but equally I, I would say there's nothing like I've, I mean I've watched Ruby probably four times and, and my favorite place to watch it is Carrefour mm -hmm. and there is nothing like standing underneath the bridge in the entry to Arnberg and seeing the breakaway of the peloton hit it at 60 kilometres an hour with the bottles bouncing out of the cages, oh, yeah. you know, and the snot dripping from their noses <laughs> and, frankly, blind drunk people falling over mm -hmm. watching the thing. And then you wander back up and just at the entrance, there's that beautiful monument to, to Jean Stablinski, mm -hmm. who was a miner at those collieries just at the start. And, you know, you can buy a beer and you can watch it on the diamond screen. The atmosphere's great. But Flanders, 
if you if you put a gun to my head and made me choose between the two, I'd choose Roubaix, but it would oh. be a hard choice. Yeah. I mean, they're both yeah. magnificent races. I agree. You guys know how depressing this this entire conversation has been. I and I'm, I'm, no, Cleaved it's not next depressing. year. Just Cleaved somebody next who's year. somebody who's been talking about this sport for a good portion of my life and never being able to see these events. And I'm wondering if I'm placing it mentally on top on too high of a pedestal. Nope. If I'm, you know, it's kind of like when everybody tells you to go see. Uh, the new Star Wars movie and you sit down and you go wow this was a two hour chase scene with to John Williams music it was absolute garbage because I placed <laughs> no, it on no, such a high pedestal you can't imagine how good it is it's better than you can imagine in fact today you would have been in a team hospitality tent in the Udaquaramont drinking beer <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that was the plan. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> oh my god! Well, I'm really pissed off. I mean, genuinely, I'm sorry if if language like that is not appropriate in your podcast. Oh, we, what the fuck are you talking today, about? Until, <laughs> until today, it didn't bother me. We swear. And then today, we... I was sitting down watching that race, and I started to live tweet it in my head. I was actually watching it live. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I'll, I'll start. I'll, I'll tweet to people, and then I thought, actually, this is. 2003 i'm not gonna do it and then suddenly it <laughs> hammered home i should be there yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah first of all we swear like sailors on this show so you are more than we'll welcome to to let them fly um and and oh god and i didn't even know we were planning for the midweek paul had paul was our cruise director so he basically had everything planned but all i know is i'm sure there were plenty of saint bernadus that were going to be consumed yeah, we're gonna and, go to that brewery yeah yeah Oh, well, Scott, a few years ago, spent a week with um, Trick when Cancellara was still there. It was, oh, wow. um, and he, he joined them at Flanders and then spent the entire week with them right through to Roubaix and just had the best week of his life. Uh, I don't think there's a better week in the in professional cycling, and that includes mm-hmm. the Grand Tours. You know, anything bookended by Flanders and Roubaix is just magical. Oh, boy. So, uh, what is your, what are your, prospects in terms of which uh, version you guys are going to be covering for Perry roubaix next week? I don't know. You don't know I don't yet? know. I'm, I'm, still, I'm still thinking about it. I'm veering towards one of the ones won by Gilbert Duclos-Lassalle ah. in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. There's one in particular where he had a chase with Olaf Ludwig, who looks like, you know, that big muscular cartoon that Bora had last year. <laughs> 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 Olaf Ludwig looks exactly like that chasing down Gilbert Duclos-Lassalle, who was an old guy. You know, he was getting towards the end of his career. It's interesting because the the rock shock Judy Rhodes were being used. You yeah. know, it's the mm-hmm. first of the real attempts at suspension. But it's also interesting because it gives an insight into just how good a classics writer Greg LeMond was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, he was magnificent in Paris-Roubaix. But I'm also looking at the, the edition that Eno won because it was fantastic. Matt Heyman winning yeah. recently. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andre Shamil from miles and miles out. It's magnificent. Sean Kelly in a skill jersey. Is, is there a more iconic photo than Sean Kelly yeah, covered yeah. in mud in his skill jersey? I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss. I think I probably will choose one of the Gilbert Duclos-Lassalle ones because I've been following the sport a wee bit longer than Scott. So, you know, this, this burden to choose which of these great races <laughs> is uh, the one we cover as mine. But I don't think there's any race that's harder than Paris-Roubaix because there have been so many classics over the years. The baggy, kind of think I might. The baggy incidents from from Dirk Tamal and Tommy Wegmuller. Mm-hmm. Eighty-eight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> you know, magnificent. It's amazing how many people that, uh, you know, like not a star, like Cervez uh, Kinevin, um, Dirk DeMaul, uh, those guys who become directors. Uh, Alan Piper, even though he never won. Mario. Bay. Yeah, Mark yeah. Mario, yeah. another one. All those guys are directors. You know, yeah. that's how hard of a race it is. It You have to be uh, passionate and understand the cycling in order to become, you know, uh, to race that race. It's amazing. Eddie Plankert beat Steve Bauer by a centimeter. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. 90. You yeah. know? Mm-hmm. And then Bauer went on to design that horrible monstrosity. <laughs> I was going to bring that up. He needed two or three chains. Yeah. You know? It was it was all the chain stick. It was, it was a long, length and chain a stick, 60, right? 66 or 67 degree C tube or something like that. Yeah. Ridiculous. You know, I, la- I, I laugh, but in the early days of doing aerodynamic and time trials, I I had this conception that having your disc miles away from your seat tube was a great idea. <laughs> so I had a time trial built with very long chain stays, which, looking at photographs now, uh, actually looks just as stupid as the beast does. So I, I've got no moral <laughs> high ground to take against Steve Bauer. <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh, so I, and I don't really necessarily want to end this on a complete downer note, but I do have to ask your <laughs> your thoughts in terms of um, the effects this is all having. We, we, we have kind of touched base on it throughout, but where is our sport going to be in three months, six months, 18 months? Um, um, on a cheery note, I would say to your, to your listeners, um, my middle son, lives in Chongqing in China, which is only slightly less than 500 miles from Wuhan, where this whole thing started. Um, And he is currently out in restaurants, eating good food, drinking beer with his girlfriend, going about life as normal. So there is an end. You know, it isn't going to be like this forever. And he's under full notification that if he gets, you know, a message to go back to his home, you know, if there's another flare up, they have to do it but they've been able to reduce the restrictions. So it isn't always going to be like this. Sadly, the one advantage of a totalitarian state that will shoot you if you don't comply <laughs> is that China were, China were able to shut it down hard and fast. Yeah. You know, They essentially went full escape from New York on, on Hubei province. Um, and we haven't been able to do that. You know, In a, in a democracy where people have more choice, the, the closing down is harder. So I think it will take us hard, a longer time to recover maybe than China has. And that will have an effect on the season. I actually think the cycling season's over. Yeah. I don't think we'll see any racing in 2020. And if we do, people won't be prepared. You know, they won't have had the race miles in their legs. It might be entertainment, but it won't be what we normally would have had. So in my head, I'm looking forward to, to 2021. My bigger worry is the financial effect it'll have on teams. Yeah. Um, a lot of these companies aren't huge. A lot of them are in the entertainment sector, which is being hit far harder than you know groceries or whatever. Uh, so I think the the complexion of the sport will be very, very different in a few months. It might be an opportunity to rethink a lot of things which people have been moaning about for ages. You know, Velon have been sniping away at the side of the sport for ages, looking for changes. Maybe it'll be an opportunity to, to introduce some of them. It will be fine, though. You know, Maybe not this year, maybe not immediately, but we will get back to racing. The trick is to make sure you're still there to see it. Yeah, yeah. 
I just wish I would. And that is a donut, actually. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> well, I just wish I would have invested in Wahoo because um, they, I, from what I understand, they they have no trainers available on their website yeah. anymore. They are sold out. Hmm. And yeah. and I, I, as much as I hate to say it, Zwift is just absolutely dominating. I'm sure right now. I had never seen the Be Cool format until the uh, mild digitized train wreck that happened this morning. But um, <laughs> I, God, that's there's they'll be sponsoring teams here soon enough yeah i mean zwift is, is fascinating because it does make turbo training more interesting yeah. um and one of one of our subscribers actually is is deeply involved in zwift as an employee in the uk and has the full you know kicker with the climbing attachment and the yeah. steering attachment and everything in his house which is great fun um <laughs> it's just turbo training, though. You know, yeah, it, yeah. if they try and put the Tour de France on on Zwift or something, I'll—I mean, I, just shoot me. <laughs> I mean, it, it's just—it's not the same as real racing. But if while well, people are still dying and the you know the crew, well, I love Skype. Hang in there, John. Uh, hold on, John. We'll see if we get you. There we uh, are. Did we get you there? And go forward. Yeah, I'm still here. You are okay. We're just uh, Skype is starting to rear its its demonic head. Um, it's three. Do you know the problem is it, it's ten to nine in the UK, everybody. and I think everybody and their grandmother is hitting Skype. Yeah, absolutely. Well, b- before uh, we completely lose you, man, um, I really would have loved to have met you face to face. I've we, I've talked to you several times digitally or on the on this perspective show. Um, what you guys are doing, I don't plug a whole lot of podcasts on this show, and there's one particular I will never plug. Um, don't go there. Stop. Yeah. yeah all right. But um, but but yours your show is is enjoyable. It's funny. It's it's informative, and um, it's always been a really kind of a, a, a true genuine source of cycling information. And I'm not just kissing your ass. Ten years. Is that what you've been doing? Uh, 2009 we started it's in fact it's 11 years now and uh, I mean I remember for a laugh when we had a thousand episodes which should happen sometime this year um, I'm going to publish episode one because there's two much younger people being very breathy and very scared of the red light when the recording <laughs> started yeah, yeah I, uh, I started in 99 and I haven't figured out that it's time to stop yet but uh Please don't stop. I, you mentioned retirement, and if, if you do, I, that's it. I'll quit too. No, it's not happening. I mean, I was going to retire because also my wife was going to retire. Um, but this, I mean, the ironic thing with all this happening is I don't think I've ever been more excited for a classic season to start. <laughs> you know, as soon as the Tour Down Under started, my juices started flowing. You know, by the time we got to the European races, I was just ready to talk about Tour de Flanders. We were going to the Tour de Flanders. We were doing our first ever live show in yeah. 10 or 11 years of podcasting. We had such plans for Flanders. Roubaix, I mean, it, it was just such an exciting year. And it's gone. But it's just time to regroup and plan for the future. You yeah. know, the racing will happen again, and we'll be there to talk about it. There is my ending note. Uh, John, thanks for your time, man. I appreciate uh, having the opportunity to catch up with you. And, and damn it all, I, we're going we're gonna to raise a glass next year. Yeah, we absolutely are, Pat. And you too, Paul. I mean, pleasure to meet you, mate. Yeah, nice meeting you too, John. You want to know something funny? I hit stop on that record. Record? Recording? And Paul and John and I proceeded to chat at length 
for at least another 20 to 30 minutes. Sometimes that just happens. Um, sometimes the greatest conversations don't happen when you're when you're rolling tape. And um, it, it was just it was fun to sit and just three bike junkies talking about the sport we are all so passionate about. Um, I don't care if you're gravel, if you're mountain, if you're road. Um, you know what it's like. You know what it's like to go on a group ride with a couple of your great friends and talk about something that you've experienced or are so passionate about or just becoming passionate about. And uh, it was it was magical. I don't want to sound um, like I'm speaking in hyperbole, but it was it was great to just chat with those guys about stuff that we all care so much about. And I hope you have that opportunity. And, you know, I, there are a lot of people creating podcasts out there. And I, I appreciate you sticking with us <laughs> because there's some anyway. But uh, get out on your bike, you guys. Uh, stay away from each other. This is this too shall pass. It might take us a while. I don't want to be on a soapbox here, but um, being cyclists, we are fortunate enough that we have the opportunity still to get out and and enjoy what we love so much. So keep doing that. Right. Tomorrow, Monday, April sixth. Speaking of passionate, speaking of attitude, Amanda Batty will be back on the show taking your questions. If you have a question or a topic you would like Amanda to address in her oh-so-feisty and colorful manner, (laughs) email me, patrick at packfiller.com, or contact us through our social media channels, Twitter, Facebook. I don't know. You Don't Instagram your questions because that's just weird. But uh, get involved with us or or just listen live. We will be on mixler.com slash Pack filler, mixler.com slash pack filler at 6 p.m. on Monday, April 6th. That's Pacific time. And uh, come enjoy it. I've got a lot of other stuff lining up. Next weekend's Perry Roubaix. We got to do something about that, right? And being that a lot of people are at home, a lot of people are willing to actually come onto a podcast. So hopefully we'll have a slew more of stuff happening while we're all stuck in our houses. And if you're on the trainer, I'll hopefully get you material that you can uh, keep busy with, right? Share the podcast with a friend of yours. Let them know what it's like. There we go. Talk to you tomorrow. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.